myself, hey, I'm a blind man could have made that call. We like as can be. We like our dogs with mustard and relish. We got a great picture, what's his name? Well, we can't even spell it. We don't worry about the pennies, but we just like to see the boys hit it deep. There's nothing like the view from the chase. Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by our host and star of this show, Bob Schaefer. This is Touch Em All, episode 413 on our network, uh, closing in on that 64,000 subscriber mark today. We appreciate all your guys' support. Um, before we get to the, the quick ad read, just want to welcome Bob Schaefer. Welcome back to your show. Thank you. We had a couple of weeks off, so we're well refreshed, I guess you can say. It gave the audience a chance to catch up. We, we provide them 14 what I believe are quality podcasts every week. And uh, we just got a special acknowledgement. We'll read that quick before we get to the ad reads, but Sportscast group uh, has, we've been nominated for our production network. So real voices of the game for an award. And also our flagship show coaching Kernan was nominated for awards. So our group collectively is, is up for an award. And then uh, our coaching Kernan show, which is our very first show with myself, Kevin Kernan, Will George and, Sal Marinello got nominated for an individual award. And we're competing against some of the big dogs, ESPN. Uh, Colin Cowherd's in the category, the second category. So, um, so some some real real big names there. So we're making some noise. And I didn't even know who the group was, um, but apparently they're they're out there and they're paying attention. So um, congratulations to you, and we appreciate the work you do for the network, all on baseball fundamentals. Who would have thought we we hung on long enough to we're finally back in vogue, huh? With the old school style. We're here. We're not going away either, so we got nothing to do, so we're staying. But, um, to our audience now, uh, we got a couple couple sponsors we want to thank. Blackout Coffee, their slogan is Be Awake, Not Woke. If you want uh, 20% off at checkout, use Shafe's code, Bob S, all caps, number 20. Use his link following that. It'll get you 15% off in perpetuity. Uh, anything you want on their, their uh, site, great coffee. We, we've all tried it on the network. I'm drinking <laughs> mine right now, so keeps me alert, especially today. We've got a triple header today. So, um, Bob, you're the middle of a triple dip today uh, for mm-hmm. podcast. But I um, also want to thank Jaw Bats, the newest ba- baseball bat that will be certified by MLB uh, this year. So they'll be using it in, in baseball this year. Our very own Jeff Fry is using it at the Red Sox fantasy camp right now. My son Tanner's used it in his recent workouts. They love it. Uh, very few grains in the maple maple finish. Uh, they they uh, they also have apparel and whatnot on there. But if you use our code RVG at checkout, all caps, you can get fifteen percent off anything on their website. But I recommend the bats highly, uh, very very well made. And I think the model that Tanner has is the M one ten, so models after the Louisville type. And then we have two sponsors right now: Liquid IV and Zencaster. Ninety second ad reads. We just ask the audience don't fast forward through it. Uh, you know, give them their their courtesy. Listen to them. great products. Um, you know, I use them both. Obviously, Zencaster is our host here. And, uh, you know, just listen to it and support those that are supporting us. So here's the first of two reads. Liquid IV is the category-winning hydration brand fueling your well-being. Their hydration multiplier is a great-tasting, non-GMO electrolyte drink mix powered by cellular transport technology to deliver hydration to the body faster and more efficiently than water alone. Hydration isn't only for people training for championships and marathons. It's about daily maintenance. I use it when I travel, watch my kids play in soccer or basketball games, back for back-to-back conference calls, or even neighborhood walks. Proper functional hydration is essential, and Liquid IV is the number one power, powdered hydration brand in America. Their hydration multiplier is the one product you're missing in your daily routine. For me, it's the Liquid IV flavors. They offer 12 unique flavors. From strawberry lemonade to Concord grape, my favorite, acai berry. One stick of liquid IV and 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. It contains five essential vitamins with three times the electrolytes of leading sports drinks. It's made from quality ingredients, non-GMO, free from gluten, dairy, and soy. That's why I'm asking you. Take a look at this. This is for real people. It's got real flavors. It's real hydrating. And you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use our code RVG at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you stop, when you shop better hydration today using our promo code RVG at liquidiv.com. Zencaster, 
how to start podcasting with Zencaster. It's now the all-in-one solution making podcasting easy. It's the ultimate web-based podcasting solution. It provides high-quality audio and video podcast production and hosting. With a full suite of professional tools, podcasters can seamlessly record, produce, and publish studio-quality content all from one dashboard. Being a creator has never been easier. Why did I choose Zencaster? Three years ago, I had never listened to a podcast. Now I've successfully produced almost 400 podcasts in the last two and a half years, all using Zencaster, and it's so easy. Log in using your browser and start recording a high-quality podcast right away. Record studio quality sound and up to 4,000 videos with your guests. Feel a sense of Zen knowing Zencaster's multi-layered backups ensure you always have your recordings in the highest quality, even if the connection is unstable. And it's all in one. If you have thought about podcasting before and realize that you need a lot of different tools and services, those days are over. With Zencaster's all-in-one podcasting platform, you can create your podcast all in one place and distribute to Spotify, Apple, and other major destinations. What am I asking from you? Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code, all capitals, RVG, and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. So thanks to our four sponsors. Shape, do you know who that famous actor was doing those ad reads? Uh, he sounds familiar. Yeah, he did. I, uh, space. <laughs> you were guessing George Clooney, right? Yeah, right. That, uh, I, every time I read those ads, I kept thinking the Rocky too when he, was, he got to do advertisement. He kept saying, smells mainly. He was trying to say, smells manly. And I kept having to do it. He got in my head. But, uh, you know, not, I regress there. So I'll let you introduce our great guest today. we got a wonderful guest, packed show for you guys today. So have at it. All right. I'm happy to have uh, a friend of mine, another Connecticut person, uh, Ron Wotus. Ron grew up in Connecticut. Uh, he went to Bacon Academy in Colchester, which was not far from where I lived. He was a great athlete in high school. He played soccer. He played basketball. And he played baseball. When he got to high school, he signed a contract with the Pittsburgh Pirates after getting drafted by them in 1979. A slick fielding shortstop, played some second base. He worked his way through the minors, getting called to the major leagues in 1983 and 84. However, an arm injury slowed his career. He eventually retired from playing and started his coaching career. He managed seven years in the minor leagues. Um, he had two times, only ball, played major playoffs every year except for two, and two times he was named manager of the year. In 1988, he became the third base coach at San Francisco Giants under Dusty Baker and began a streak of 24 years as a major league coach. Not too many people can can beat that, if anybody can beat it. I don't know for sure. But uh, he was a great major league coach under Felipe Lou, Bruce Bochy, as well as Dusty. So that's a pretty good uh, bench coach, a third base coach, and some pretty good probably Hall of Fame managers eventually. He retired from coaching in 2022 and became a special assistant to the GM going around the minor leagues and staying a little bit in the big leagues, helping some big league players as well as minor league players. And he just, you know, just a great baseball guy. We coached against each other for eight years when I was with Kansas City, Oakland, and the Dodgers. We used to compare notes all the time, and uh, we had some great baseball conversations, and we learned from each other. But I'm happy to have Ron Wotus with us today, and welcome, Ron. Good to have you. Shafe, uh, thanks so much. Uh, David, great to be with you guys. First off, congratulations on your nomination for the work you're doing here on the podcast. But uh, this is special for me, Shafe. Um, as you said, uh, I've known of you since high school. Um, you know, you were a legend in Connecticut, and, and I was so fortunate that our paths crossed in professional baseball and we were able to have the relationship that uh, we've had. So Dave, you know, Shafe's been a mentor to me, as he said, we, he, he, you know, if I have a question or, or need advice, he's always been there. So it's a real pleasure and honor for me to be with you guys today and have a chance to talk baseball on, on a podcast. So thanks for having me. Oh, it was good to be there. And just to give you a little, uh, when we first met Ronnie, I was coaching the Cape Cod League and uh, recruiting all over the country. And Bill Wilhelm at Clemson University, I had Bill Schroeder and, and a couple other guys that we had on our team in, uh, in uh, Hyannis. He said, Shafe, I've given you some players, and I want you to give me a player. I said, i got a perfect guy for you. His name is Ron Wotus. He's a great athlete. I referee soccer. He's got great feet, got great quickness and speed, and he's alert, knows what's going on. Then I, I referee basketball, and he's a great basketball player. 
He can jump, he can shoot, he can do the whole thing, but he's a great athlete. I never saw him play baseball, but I've talked to a few umpires and other coaches. He's a really good baseball player. So I recommend him highly. He's well good. That's a great name. So he had him down there. And Ronnie calls his coach Schaefer. I just got a free scholarship down to uh, Clemson. I said, congratulations. Now, my first part of April, he calls me back. He says, coach, uh, Bill Wilhelm said that he reneged on my scholarship. I said, what are you talking about? I said, I called Wilhelm. He said, Bill, what's going on? I said, you're losing a great prospect. He said, well, I talked to some scouts up there, and they said he can't run that well and he can't hit that well. I said, Bill, it's 35, 40 degrees up here. What the hell do you expect him to do? So anyway, he reneged. In the meantime, Ronnie got drafted by Pittsburgh and started a great career in professional baseball. So everything, I, I guess, really worked out for the best. But it just it ticked me off that the fact you listen to someone else after listening to me and didn't realize that, you know, we're Connecticut now. It's 35, 40 degrees, windy, cloudy, and bad place to play baseball. So that was one story. <laughs> well, Shafe, it's 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 uh, great to hear that story again, because uh, you know when I was down there, I uh, flew me down for the weekend, and of course I loved it. The school was beautiful. I mean, come on! And I think I was going to go look at Eastern Connecticut and, and New Haven with Porky Vieira, and you know Clemson went heads and tails above all of them. But he wanted me to sign a letter of intent, and uh, I didn't want to do it because I had a couple other schools. And I asked him, I says, "How long?" Uh, when do you need to know? And he goes, well, I need to know within a month. Well, uh, uh, 10 days into this process, I get a phone call and it was coach Wilhelm. And he says, he goes, son, you're good. You're going to have to go ahead and sign at one of those schools. We just signed another shortstop. And I said, <laughs> you're kidding. And he goes, no, wouldn't joke about a thing like that. Good luck to you. Click. <laughs> that was, that was my experience with Clemson. I guess I should have signed the paper when I had the opportunity, but we had a great time. And and you, you've always been looking out for me. And uh, as I said, I'm, I'm happy to be here today with you guys. Yeah, well, Bill Hill, Wilhelm had a great program down there, and he's a great baseball coach. But uh, that was kind of, I don't know, I was just upset the way he handled it. But uh, like I said, everything worked out for the best for you. And uh, you've had a great career, and you're still, still going to professional baseball. Yeah, you know, I, I, I Pat Burrell's a coach with us, and he's going to be on our major league staff. And he played at Miami and Turtle Thomas. Turtle Thomas was the one that recruited me or, or was up at my house uh, to see me um, when they came to watch me play. And uh, I had uh, this was just two years ago. You know, I haven't crossed paths with Turtle Thomas for a long, long time. And I had Pat Burley had his number. I had him call Turtle and ask him what the hell went on down there. How come he, he reneged on this thing? And uh, of course, he just told me, he said, look, he goes, he, he felt that you weren't going to sign players that don't sign right away. Um, usually don't come here. So anyways, uh, it was a great time in my life. And as you said, things have worked out and I'm just so fortunate to to still be doing what I love. You talk about Pat Burrell. I'm glad he's back in baseball. Uh, when he was scouting, we used to hang out a lot together, him and I, and uh, we had some good times and he was out of baseball for quite a while or a few years anyway. And now I'm glad to see him back in there, but he was a great hitter, great baseball player. So I'm glad he's back with you guys. Yeah, you know what? He um, The thing that impressed me about Pat is, I mean, I knew him as a player. He was a big part of our 2010 World Series run. You know, you had him and Cody Ross and even, you know, the crazy Aubrey Huff. You know, those guys, uh, they got the team going, especially Pat. I mean, he was he was one of those leaders in the clubhouse. He'd fire the guys up. He was very vocal and, uh, you know, was just a great addition for us on the team to help us to get to the World Series. But what impressed me even more is when he was scouting for us. Very good scout. You know, he understood the importance of, you know, knowing the animal. And he wasn't that far removed from the game. Shafe, you know all about this, that he knew all the players on the field. He can get information on people that other people don't have. Uh, he could find out the guy about the guy in the clubhouse. Is he a good teammate, bad teammate? So um, he was an outstanding scout. And I'm so happy he's back at the major league level. Um, as a hitting coach, co-heading coach with Justin Veely. And I really think he's going to help us, um, you know, with his knowledge and experience and, and, and how he goes about it. Well, that's the sad part about baseball now is that a lot of major league scouts or former major league scouts are not working anymore because some of these new general managers don't understand what scout does. Like you said, Burroughs, he knew the players, he knew the coaches, he knew the front office people. He knew he could find a lot of information. I mean, when I was scouting, I was fortunate I knew a lot of people in baseball. So, you know, you can sit and watch a game, but you got to find out their inside information. You know, what kind of makeup does he have? What kind of work ethic does he have? And, you know, as well watching, but 
you know, you talk to uh, broadcasters, you talk to other scouts, you talk to coaches and so forth. And you're kind of like a CIA guy, not just a guy sitting there with a radar gun and, and a stopwatch. But unfortunately, most of those guys are gone. I mean, one reason I retired is because, you know, I get up in the morning, do my reports, you know, maybe take a walk, maybe have lunch, maybe take a nap and then go to the game. And you see some of your, your buddies there, but unfortunately, a lot of my buddies have passed away or they got fired. So they're not out there anymore. So there's not, no more fun doing it. And second of all, there's no more, not many guys that scout in the major leagues. They do it with video and, you know, people that come out of college with uh, some kind of degree from Harvard or Yale, and they have them sit in the stands and they don't communicate with anybody. So it's a different game with different perspective in a lot of ways. Well, you're, you're exactly right in, in the fact that, I mean, I learned this as a, as a minor league manager and, and a major league coach, you know, when, when Brian Sabian or, you know, one of our front office staff would say, hey, do you like this player? You know, a couple of things I always says, I, you know, the two things came to mind. The first thing is, OK, what's the alternative to this player? You know, do you like this guy? Well, what's the alternative? If he's better than the alternative, OK, um, you know, so be it. Yeah, I do like him better than our other option. But the second thing is what you just talked about. You were always great uh, in our conversations. You know, you never quoted uh, the ability of the player to field or throw or, or, or hit. I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? You got a stat, you watch the guy play. But you talked about the man, the individual, and what he would bring to the team. And I can't remember countless of times we, we discussed players. And you'll say, ah, you don't want that guy. You know, he's, he, he's not on board with everybody or uh, he doesn't give you his all or uh, you know, a bad teammate, et cetera, et cetera. And that information is so valuable because to this day, when, when they ask for a recommendation for a player, uh, the organization, you know, the first thing I do is, uh, you know, I don't watch them uh, on the computer, which a lot of these guys do today. That's the way they do it. Okay. Um, I need to call somebody that's played with them or coached with them, you know, somebody I trust and find out the information that really makes the player. And that's, you know, the, the desire, the heart, the head, the teammate, uh, what kind of animal is he, you know, where he is in his contract. All those things I think are so valuable. And uh, our conversations, uh, you, you brought that right up front all the time. And that's what you want, especially when you're giving guy, uh, you know, millions and millions of dollars. You know, you don't want to sign a bad apple to a 10-year contract. That's for sure. Well, that's true. And uh, like I said, people ask me, what do you do as a scout? You know, how do you know how to scout? I said, well, I watched the game. Would I want to manage this guy? <clears throat> can this guy help us win? And that's why I did. I also said, can he help you win? I mean, there's some guys, stats, we all looked at stats, and stats are important. But same token, when does he get those stats? A good example is I was sitting in the stands one time with Lee Elder, who was <laughs> a legend and really did a lot for you guys in San Francisco. Yeah. And uh, he said to me, he says, uh, Sabian wants me to find a guy that can fill the certain roles. I said, I got a perfect guy for you. He said, who? I said, Marco Scudero. I coach him in Oakland. He's a baseball player. He probably went to a trial camp. He probably wouldn't have got signed. But you know what? He can help you win games. He can hit the ball the right side. He can bunt. He can get signs. He'll make a routine ball, a routine ground ball. He's just a winner. He just knows how to win. And he was one of the most valuable players after they picked him up. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, Lee – looked at himself, said, you know, I see what you see in this guy. I like him a lot. So recommended him and you got him. But, uh, but those are the kind of guys that uh, help you win games more. So well, just a guy with big stats. Uh, you're right, Shafe. What a great recommendation. Uh, sweet T Lee. I'm glad he, he liked him as well. And you gave him the recommendation and, and uh, saves and our people loved him as well. But when he came over, you said he was just having a mediocre year. And right. uh, he, he was he was more of a part time player, as you said, he wasn't an everyday player. Well, he came over to us. And after two weeks, you know, his nickname, we started calling him Blockbuster because of what he did for us. And he was a huge part of winning that 2012 World Series. I think he, he drove in the winning run in, in the final game, but uh, he did everything for us. And here's a player that was a perfect, perfect fit for for our team he he wasn't you know the beltran that we, we we've gotten before and and some of these you know elite elite players but he was the perfect fit perfect teammate and uh well when you name him when his teammates call him blockbuster you know he did a heck of a job for us well you know as you know as a coach and everything and dave you know as a baseball guy that some guys are good on good teams some guys aren't real good on bad teams we got a guy in a trade adam eaton from the white Sox. they were struggling over there but I recommend real highly uh, 
had to go on the phone with the owner and everything. And Rizzo kind of believed what I said about him, but he came to us and he became a great leader. I mean, over there in Chicago, I guess he upset some players, but he wanted to win real bad. So he was kind of a pain in the ass in the clubhouse, I guess. But you know what? Adam Eaton could help you win. He helped us win the World Series. He helped us, you know, many ways. Top of the order hitter, good outfielder, and so forth. But I just liked the way he played. And I knew a little background. I knew the White Sox wanted to get rid of him. And uh, so he really helped us. But that's my idea of a scout, scouting. Find a guy that would be a good fit for your team because maybe he needs to change his scenery and get into a good situation where he can be on a winning team. Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, so so pertinent, a change of scenery. And you said it. I mean, when I was managing in the minor leagues, I used to always remind our players because it was all about winning, you know. And I, I would tell them, I'd say, look, you know, the worst player on this club, you may not be having a good year, but if you win, you go to the championship, you're more desirable. And it's so true. You see it in the major leagues, the success we have. All those guys that were on World Series teams, they get jobs and they get good jobs because they've they've helped you. They've helped you win. And when you're on a bad team, it's very easy. It's very easy uh, to, to not have your best year for some of the reasons that you had mentioned. So there's so many things you have to consider. And, uh, you, you know, look, you've been on the field, you've been in the dugout, you've managed players, you ran player development, uh, and then you're scouting. That experience, you know what it's like to be on a winner, a loser, watch these players react and, and be involved in those situations. And uh, that's valuable experience to be able to look at the whole picture <clears throat> and where the player comes from, what kind of team he's on, uh, where he is in his contract to make a determination if this guy can be a right fit or not. You're right. And man, I, when I took over managing Kansas City as intern basis, I talked to every player on the team. And one player I talked to was Tony Graffanino. Now, I don't know how long I was going to be the interim, but Albert Bear's out scouting for a real manager, so to speak, you know, with Buddy Bell. But anyway, I was there three weeks. But my first few days, I went to Tony. I said, Tony, come here. I got to talk to you. I said, I'm going to tell you something I know you're not going to like, but I'm just going to tell you to accept it. I said, I don't look at you as an everyday player. And in Kansas City days, and then we used to get part-time guys from other teams and try to make them everyday players. But some guys can't play every day, mentally, physically, or whatever. They can't play every day. But but Tony was a great extra player. And I said, Tony, you can you can have a you know extend your career quite a way if you just accept the fact that you're going to be a part-time player. I said, you can play second, your best position. You can play third, you can play short. So if you accept it, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to sit you down more than two days. I probably won't play you more than two or three days in a row, but just accept it and do the best you can. You say, well, you're right. I don't, I don't, I don't like it, but I said, well, I'm just telling you, just, just accept it and go with it. Cause hopefully at the end of the year and you know, when trade deadline comes along, a team at first place or close to first place will come and get you and put you into their, onto their team because you can help a team in that role. So about three days later, he walks in and I said, run uh Tony, I got to talk to you. He said, what? I said, you ever play first? He says, no. I said, well, Sweeney's hurt, and uh, the other first baseman was sick or something. I said, so you're playing first base. you got four hours to learn how to play first. Good luck. <laughs> you can put that on your resume, and then you can put that on your resume, too. <laughs> it's okay, Shafe, I'll do that. So he ran with it, and he loved it. But after it's September, all of a sudden, now the Red Sox trade for him. He's in first place all of a sudden, after being probably last place. And uh, he played with them in the playoffs, and – he got three or four more years in the big leagues. And he every time I saw him later, he said, you know, thanks, Shafe. I said, no, you did it. You accepted it. And you did a hell of a job. But he was a good right-handed hitter against left-handed pitching. And he was good. He was dependable defensive player. And he knew how to run the bases. And he did little things to help you win. And that's what yeah. you want in an extra player. Yeah. No, no yeah. I remember Tony. Uh, he played his role to a T. And, and that's what you want, right? You want everybody uh, buying into their role. I think about the teams that that, that won for us. I mean, uh, not not just on the uh, the players, but the coaching staff. You know, we had some real quality people. Everybody accepted the rule that the role. They knew their role, and they they didn't try to do more than than what they were capable or to get in other people's areas as coaches. You know, and all yeah. that. If you have good people and they know their roles, and uh, you got a manager or coaches that can that can help them understand, uh, like you did with Tony. Um, it could really help a player have, have more success and obviously the team have more success. You're right. And, you know, we've been both fortunate to have some outstanding players on our team. And, you know, we had some big battles when I was with the Dodgers, you were the Giants. And uh, we had one guy especially still pitching. Um, we had that one game where uh, Litsicum drilled one of our pitchers, or one of our players. 
And of course, the umpire throws a warning out. So I go crazy. And uh, I didn't get thrown out then yet. <laughs> yeah. But I said, you know, I hated that, that rule because you warned the team to get hit as well as the other team. So you penalize the team of the guy that got hit. Because if you retaliate, you get thrown out of the game, get suspended, and so forth. So, you know, what happens, of course, you know, two innings later, uh, one, of you, one of your pitchers wasn't the same, wasn't listening with somebody else. He threw one right underneath Russell Martin's chin. So Kershaw is pitching for us, and he's like 19, maybe 20 years old at the time, first, maybe second year in the big leagues. He comes up with Joe, and he says, no, I already started yelling before that, but come up to Joe in between. He said, Joe, I'm going to get somebody. Now, here's a young kid. That shows you what kind of competitor Kershaw is. He said, yeah. I'm going to get somebody. And Joe says, no, no, you can't do that. You know, we need you in the game. We'll do it some other time. Well, Joe goes to get a drink of water a little while later. Kershaw comes <laughs> and says, Shafe, I'm getting somebody. <laughs> I said, hey, Kersh, Joe doesn't want you to. I said, you can't do that. I said, you want to get thrown in a game. But you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> so, sure enough, they throw one on Russell Martin's chin, like I said. And I go crazy, yelling at this umpire. And I said, you're the one to start us, throw him out of the game. Well, I guess went a little too far. Then I ran out of the field. And, you know, when that happens, you get suspended and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it was a McClellan was umpiring. Also, he wouldn't want to throw me out. But he's coming down, bulldozing me out of the way. He's like 6'8", about 300 pounds. Wow. And Thank God. I had, no, I had no chance to say anything else. But <laughs> So I go out and I walk down, get in the dugout, walk to the dugout. Her says to me, says, Shafe, I'll see you in a little while. <laughs> nice. nice. Sure enough, he, he drilled something. He got thrown out. But. I mean, you talk about special guys. I mean, I've, I've managed and coached many special guys, and he was a special guy for me. And I'm sure you have stories of some of your guys, too, that respected you and, and were special to you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, you mentioned Kershaw. And, uh, well, I, I, I seen that back then when he was a kid because I had an opportunity to be in that division and watch him pitch all those years. And I remember that game, you going nuts. And I was like, get him, Shafe, get him. You know, I, <laughs> I enjoyed the heck out of the other side. That's what makes the game fun. But um, so we were in spring training, my first year with the new regime, Kapler and his staff. And I'm coaching third. And uh, we someone hits a home run in spring training. And uh, Kershaw, he hits our backup catcher, the next hitter. So now I'm pissed. I'm like, what is he doing? It's spring training. So I said, screw it. So I start yelling at him. When I'm running off the field, I run by him. I start screaming at him. I said, you didn't have to do that. What's wrong with you? It's spring training. And he stopped. He goes, what? He was all jacked up in his spring training game. I mean, he it was like the a, a playoff game for him. And he stops and he starts coming after me. And I just kept running. It was a little to-do. But uh, I gained some respect from my coaching staff and the people. But I was pissed. I was like, come yeah. on. He didn't yeah. have to do that. And so, yeah, those competitors, you, you can't control them. You know, the guy that we had was Bumgarner. I mean, Bumgarner yeah. was a guy. And, and I don't know if you were there with the Dodgers uh, when Puig was there. I mean, all the years run together for me. Yeah, but, no, I wouldn't uh, that. You weren't there then. But, uh, you know, him and Puig would go at it. And I think that led to one of, uh, you know, uh, Joe West's staring mass match with uh, Bumgarner. If your listeners haven't seen it, you know, Bum and Joe West had a staring contest uh, during during a game because they couldn't stand each other. It went on for like a minute and everybody's waiting for them to stop looking at each other before Joe West gave Bum the ball. So, uh, you know, I, I miss the personality game. I, I think it, it adds to the flavor. I, I miss the managers, you know, not being able to go out there and say their piece. And, uh, you know, I've heard you guys talk on other shows about the new rules, and some of them are good, some of them aren't so good. But, uh, you know, the personality game has, has definitely changed over the years. Yeah, I definitely miss some of that stuff, too. I mean, arguing with the umpires, especially I managed in minor leagues, I got thrown out a few times. But I also had a pretty good rapport with the umpires. I mean, I remember one time, like my first couple of years, I was coaching in Kansas City, and, uh, who was the guy he had? He used to have the umpire school all the time, but he was a real oh, straight. Wendelstadt or no, um, Jerry, Jerry, uh, not Jerry Davis. Jerry Davis. No. Uh, okay, he was kind of anyway. He stood about on the on the grass behind home plate, calling balls and strikes at Denver's career. Hmm. Anyway, so I get thrown out. Well, actually, uh, something happens. Wathen goes out, and uh, he's arguing with. Uh, I've got to, to play at first base. He's arguing that. And so I get in involved and he said something about Walton, like, you know, get that jackass in the dugout or something like that. So I went bullshit and I got thrown out of the game. Anyway, so we're playing Baltimore and we went over to uh, the Italian down the little Italy down there. 
Uh-huh. And we're uh, in the in the restaurant there having something to eat. And the umpires were there. I said, oh, that's nice. So they all sent us over a drink. I was with Smokey Garrett and his wife and my wife. And they sent us all over a drink. And I said, that's nice enough. So I told the waitress, uh, Ed, uh, Joe Brinkman was the guy I think of. Joe Brinkman. Okay, Brinkman. So I send it, I tell the waitress, I send them all a drink for me and put a carrot in it. So <laughs> he, he went over and put a carrot in it and the other guys laughed their ass off. And Joe, Joe got all upset about it. He got all ticked off. He wouldn't Did even he? talk to me anymore. Oh, but geez. it was just a joke. Like, you know, but most umpires, you know, they got a tough job to do. I know it's an official, they got a tough job to do, but yeah, you got to humor them once in a while and they like that. And uh, it's like, uh, it's all part of the game, but it's like the stuff that I miss about the game. Yeah. You know, I, I was a bench coach for 19 years. I was thrown out twice. I probably uh, could have got thrown out a lot more, but you know, I didn't ever want to overstep my bounds with the manager. But like you said, you know, sometimes in, in certain situations, um, you, you got to stick up or do what you think is right. So I was thrown out. Tw- I was thrown out twice and got suspended, as you said, because when I got thrown out, you know, I, I was in the dugout. I, I went up and I went right to home plate. It was home, home plate umpire was squeezing Ryan Vogelswang. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we were yelling, chirping from the from the side. And he looked over at me and, you know, he said, that's enough, et cetera, et cetera. I just shook my head. He threw me out. Well, that really pissed me off. I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't say anything else. So, uh, you know, the players really enjoy when you do that stuff and mm-hmm. uh, and, and back them. And, I mean, me and Vogel, you're very tight. And I think for the next four years, I mean, he, he just loved me that I was fighting yeah. for him to, you know, to get his calls. So, um, yeah. And, and the minor leagues is another story. Uh, I probably was thrown out more times than I can count, you know, you know, Ted Barrett, one of the very yeah. good umpires in the major leagues. We were in San Jose one night and he threw me out. I went out on the field cause that's the way you did it back there. It was like 1990 or 1991. And I, I said, I'm going to kick dirt on him. Right. Well, I was in the, in the grass infield. So I'm kicking grass at him. And he's looking down, the grass not moving. He's looking at me like, you idiot. But those umpires, those umpires, um, I've had a great relationship. Those guys you worked with in the minor leagues, they got to the major leagues. And one thing I really enjoyed coaching third my last four seasons in San Francisco after leaving the bench coach was having a chance to talk to the umpires more out there at third base. We've, I've become yeah. very good friends with a lot of them. Like you said, they're good guys. Yeah. Um, you know, we drink wine together here and there and I'll even stop down in San Francisco now in my new special assistant role and, and go say hello to them. So, uh, they're good people, but when you're competing against each other and the calls are missing, it's costing you, uh, your livelihood. Um, you have to let them know. I mean, that's, that's what we do. Yeah. And they expect that we had, uh, Ron Copeman here a couple of weeks ago and he's one of my favorite guys. And, uh, but another guy that's like, actually, I kind of like the guy, Angel Hernandez. I think everybody knows him in baseball. <laughs> they know him oh, for yeah. the wrong reason. Yeah. But I'm in double A, and he threw me out about, I think he threw me out seven times. He used to call Balk all the time. This guy, Mark Shiflett, he had probably the best move to first base of anybody ever. And after he got you know called for a Balk a couple of times, I had one of the kids put a video camera behind first base and, and video his move. In those days, it was like what, 1987. Right. You know, there wasn't, the video wasn't big at all. But anyway, I had him do that. And so what happened is that, you know, he had just a, great deceptive move and he didn't you know he didn't step he stepped you didn't step toward first I mean he didn't step toward home and through the first you didn't cross that 45 degree angle so um we put the I mean, uh, president league I call him I say every time he throws me out I'm, every, time, every time he calls a balk I'm gonna get thrown out because it's not a balk he just gets fooled like the, the runners do well don't do that well anyway probably three or four more times you know he called a balk and I got thrown out anyway yeah, you know, I'm out. I'm out of it. I finally get to the big leagues myself, and all of a sudden, uh, then I then I start uh, scouting after four years in the big leagues, and I'm in Pittsburgh, and uh, Chuck Tanner's there. We're sitting there having you know meal there, and uh, I see the lineups. I said, Angel Hernandez, are you kidding me? This guy got to the big leagues. So, <laughs> yeah, so Ed Vargo walks in, up our supervisor, and he says, he said, uh, and of course Chuck says. Ed, Shafe don't like your umpire. So I told him the story. He said, no, no, he's changed a lot. He's, he's, he's changed a whole lot. I said, okay. So I told, I told Chuck, of course, the story about him calling box on everybody. So here we are, first inning. And uh, I forget who the pitch was with the, with the Pirates. But anyway, I'm, I'm sitting here. Vargo's to the you know, left of me and Chuck Tanner's to the right of me anyway. So first guy gets on. Sure enough, Angel calls a buck. So, so oh, Chuck boy. says, Shafe, you're right. And Ed just puts his head down. And I'm just laughing, but so that was it. But then again, I get back to the big leagues, and I still don't like Angel. 
He probably didn't like me. So we didn't talk for about three or four years. But Angel really is a great person. I mean, you get to know him personally. I get to know him after that. He's really a good person. He does a lot of stuff for ump care and all that kind of stuff. But he is really a good guy. He just has trouble staying out of trouble. Yes, that's right. Well, I, right. I know Angel a little bit as well. Like I said, coach in third, we've talked. And, and uh, you know, I, I think it was the last last year he, he was around or last year I was around in 2021. You know, he's coaching. I was coaching third, and he was he was umpiring third. And you know where he stays when he comes to San Francisco the last couple of years? He stays in Napa Valley, and he takes the limo back and forth. Yeah, I, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. A lot of these umpires stay in Walnut Creek over by me, but he stays yeah. up in Napa Valley, which uh, I, I never, you know, I never imagined an umpire would do it. I said, oh, this guy knows how to live. And, you know, the, the, the one thing that's coming to mind that we're talking about these umpires, when my second year in the league, which was – you know, 1990, um, Bruce Froming, you know, and, and he'd been around a long time. Uh, I'm in the clubhouse one day and uh, the, the clubhouse guy, Brandon Evans, goes, hey, he takes care of the umpires. He goes, Bruce Froming wants to see you down in the umpires room. And this is my sec- second year. And I'm like, OK, I wonder what the heck that is. So I go down there. I walk in the umpire room and I can't remember the, the rest of his staff that was there. And, and Bruce says, sit down. And I sit down and he starts going, you know. You know, this is your second year in the league, and uh, I look over there at the bench, and you're throwing your arms up on certain calls, you know, when things don't go right, you're yelling. He goes, that's not your place to do this. Well, being from Connecticut and growing up the way I did and you did, immediately, I wasn't going to take that. It called me into the principal's office to tell me to not do my job. I I said, look, Bruce, immediately my blood started boiling. I got pissed off. I said, look, I says, my job is to get these players better and win games. I says, your job is to get the call right. As long as you don't get the call right, I'm going to let you know. And I said, <laughs> I, I don't need to hear this bullshit from you. And I got up and I left that. And, uh, <laughs> so, so after that, the next five, six years, Bruce and I got along fine, you know, and I, I toned it down. I, I tried not to to show him up or embarrass him, which, you know, like you said, they're they're humans. And, you know, he made his point and uh, I heard him, but uh, I wasn't going to listen to it sitting in that umpire's room like that uh, before the game. Well, like, you know, getting back to Angel now, after three or four years in the big leagues together, I finally started talking to him. And uh, like I said, he's a really good guy. But my last couple of years, I, you know, when I coached, you know, I was a bench coach, brought the lineups up and everything. When Angel was umpiring, I bring up the lineups and, uh, let the other coach leave. And once they left, they said in front of the umpire, I said, Angel, just try not to screw this game up tonight, okay? <laughs> That's <laughs> right. <laughs> But you know what, Shafe, I think I heard you say that when I was standing there one night because I went up there every night because Boach would not take the lineup card up. Just once in a great once in a great while, he would take yeah. the lineup card. So I swear I think I've heard you say that to him. Yeah. <laughs> well, you getting back to the umpire. My first year coaching as coach for a space and you know, a guy beat the throw, so I give you a safe sign. You know, I forget who the umpire was, a veteran guy. He came over and said, look, don't ever do that again and show me up. I said, well, I'm, I just reaction. I didn't mean to show you up. But now you watch the games, and the players are running down and giving a safe sign, and I can't believe that the umpires take that. You know what I mean? They should say, hey, right. look, I'm the umpire. You're the player. Just shut up and stop doing it because it actually shows them up. Yeah. And just like catchers. Catchers that get down on one knee and jerk the ball in. I guarantee if Ken Kyes was still umpiring or oh. still around, if a guy jerked the ball in like that, he slapped him in the side of the head, probably knock him into the dugout because that's just showing him up. And right. I can't believe the players get away with what they get away with now, but they're just the – umpires are, like, restricted, I guess, a lot of things they can do. Yeah. Well, I asked the umpires this because, like I said, I was coaching third in my last four years, and that drove me nuts. I said the same thing. I was, I was taking a poll with the umpires. I was saying, how the heck do you let – you know, do you let him jerk the ball back like that? And, you know, they said, you know, the, the times have changed. We can't say anything. You know, they used to tell the catchers what the hell to do, as you said. And the other thing was I started asking him about being on the knee because I'm not a big believer in the catcher being on his knee to get these pitches. You got a guy on third base, catcher's on his knee. He, he, he doesn't have the range to black, to block a ball to his right, right. or his left. His reach is limited. Uh, even balls up in the zone, guy throwing 96, he can't get to it. That's a run. It's it's a wild pitch and a run. And I don't get it, but I asked the umpires, do you really see the ball better? And, you know, I heard a little of the show on Ron Culpa, and yeah. I don't know how he felt about it, but most of the umpires I talked to said, look, I just want the catcher to be consistent, be in one yeah. spot. He goes, these guys move around so much today. 
I don't know where to be. It's harder for me to get a good look at the ball. And then the last thing I'm going to say about umpires, because you're jogging my memory here. This is great. Uh, <laughs> Dave Roberts, you may have been in L.A. at the time. I don't know what you were there when no, Dave was there. I was like there with Joe. Joe okay, yeah, that's right. With Joe. Well, Dave, no, Dave Roberts not managing, but he was a player. Oh, and no. when, when Dave Roberts bunted, he would step right on home plate with his back foot. A lot he of guys step, do. A lot of guys do. So I kept telling the umpires when I went to home plate before the game, watch Dave. He steps on the plate. So I'm, I'm on the bench. There he bunts against us. There he is, foot in the middle of the plate. I'm screaming at him. Enough said. So I said, that's it. I've had enough. I get the video guy to print out the picture of Dave Roberts' foot right on home plate and the balls in the picture you have the whole thing you could see it plain as day yeah. so what i do before the game and i knew this wasn't going to go over very good but i sent it down to the umpire room i gave it to brandon evans I said, brandon give this to the umpires well they didn't take too kindly to it i went to home plate that <laughs> you know to bring the lineup card up and they gave me all of them they were on my on my behind like nobody's business and uh, once again, I didn't take it. I said, well, get the call right. He's stepping on the plate. Come on, look for it, yeah. right? They, they don't, you know. But as you said, they got a tough job. And uh, yeah. I, I guess when you do stuff like that, they're probably not going to call it because they're pissed off at you. <laughs> well, what you got to do, I always told a catcher when you had guys that, you know, under for hit, especially step on a plate, step out of box anyways, tell the catcher, you can tell him, watch him stepping on a plate. And then he might call it then. But he won't call unless somebody brings it to your attention before that, I don't think. But yeah, you know, the umpires, they try to stay out of trouble. I mean, they're going to get more trouble calling it than not calling it. And, you know, that's their job, stay out of trouble to a certain extent. But uh, right. if you tip them, off, tip them off first, then I think you got a better chance. But uh, right, so right. let's talk about something else. You know, I was director of player development at the Red Sox. You know, you're similar to what you're doing now as far as going around the minor leagues and helping coaches, helping managers, helping players, as well as players in the big leagues still. But you know, the other day, that Mar- Marlins hired a person who was going to be director of player development. And, you know, it's she's a woman. Well, whether she's a woman or man, but you know what bothers me more than anything else? She was an A-ball manager for like a year, maybe two years. And now she's in charge of all the minor leagues. I mean, yeah. when I managed at random minor leagues, I was I had coached at every level, managed at every level, and coached four years in the big leagues. And I don't understand how somebody can give someone a job that is very important to teach the coaches how to coach, teach the managers how to manage, teach the players how to play, you know, put together a fundamental system. And all of a sudden now she's like director of player development. I mean, I don't understand that. What do you think about that? Well, you know, I, I agree with you because uh, I have I have nothing against a woman doing the job, but I, I've always believed in experience. I think about the World Series we won and the coaching staff we had with Regretti and Mark Gardner as a pitching guys, you know, Tim Flannery uh, as a third base coach, Roberta Kelly. I was a bench coach, Bam Bam Mullins. If you have experience, I, I just I don't understand how a billion dollar business uh, would do these types of things. Um, without gaining experience. There's so many qualified people to do it. So I think you need to pay your dues like you did, um, like I did. I managed seven years in the minor leagues, eight years in the minor leagues, and you work your way up. So I, I think that's the most important thing. And I see in the business today, people get positions without that experience. It doesn't seem to matter all that much course, you know, a lot of people are doing it different with the analytics. Uh, we know sometimes they they don't want, uh, you know, I've, I've heard it said, I'll be blunt. I've heard it said by coaches, uh, uh, general managers uh, that, you know, they don't want a lot of the old school ways involved. They want, you know, new ways of thinking, progressive thinking. Um, so my only point is, hey, if you pay your dues, and you experience the job, and you're you're qualified to do that job, then then hey, more power to you. Um, but one year managing, I, I think back to my first couple of years managing, kicking grass on an umpire. I was an idiot. I wasn't prepared for any of that. So you learn so much in this game by managing and working with players. And I don't care who you are, um, it's very difficult to be at your best when you don't have that experience. Matter of fact, Bobby Evans was our general manager and we were making changes. We had a couple of bad years and he asked me, and I'll never forget it, if I wanted to be head of player development. He's, and he, what he told me was, he says, it's his most important position to him, head of player development, you know, right. head of scouting. He says, these people I, I rely on. I mean, it's a big job with a lot of responsibility. So right. I understand exactly what you're saying. It's, it's a little surprising to me. 
Well, you know, I'd coached three years in, in uh, L.A. Dodgers with the, and Kim Ng was the assistant general manager. Yeah, yeah. King was all, uh, Kim was awesome. She was assistant GM there. She was with a uh, couple other teams before that as, as assistant GM. She had all the credentials to become a GM. She worked yep. in the commissioner's office, and she did a great job as a GM of Miami. All of a sudden, they bring in somebody over top of her, and she says, I'll see you later. So she quit. Well, I mean, Kim, you know, being a woman, she was a pioneer, so to speak, but she had to overcome a lot of things. But you know what? She was great. I had uh, a guy that worked for, you know, we're working there, and he calls me and says, what the, hell, what the hell does she know about baseball? I said, let me tell you what. You're going to love her because Kim knows what she doesn't know. She'll talk to baseball people and find out what she needs to know. And that's exactly what Kim was. So a month later, this guy calls me back. He says, you know what? She might be the best person I ever worked for. I said, oh, really? that's what she is because but Kim knew the game, but she knew who to talk to and who else knew the game and where is she going to get her information from. And this guy was, you know, one of a, a great information guy. He had managed in my leagues and scouted forever. He was a great baseball guy. And so I talked to Kim a little later, and I said, yeah, one of you guys gave you a great compliment. She said, who? And I told her. And she said, yeah, I love him. and Because, you know, he'll tell me what he thinks rather than what he, he thinks I want to know. I said, well, that's what it's all about. But but she wanted to know what other people thought to help her make better decisions. Yeah. And that's where she got from, from her experiences she had in the game. She learned that. But she was outstanding, and I just hope she gets back sooner than later to be another GM, to be a GM somewhere else, because – She's head and shoulders a lot of people that are GMs now for me. I, I agree 100%. I don't know her that well, but I, I know her history. And I actually interviewed with her. I interviewed for the Dodgers uh, years ago when they hired Grady Little. Um, you know, I, I went down there with Paul DePodesta, his short stint as a general manager. Kim was the assistant. And I can't remember who else was in the room. You know, we did the interview. I got to know Kim then. We went to dinner. and We had a great dinner. So I knew her ever ever since then and followed her career and she really did pay her dues and i'll tell you a quick little story that uh, your listeners might find interesting so i'm interviewing you know for the dodgers and we're talking about the staff and uh i think this is before you came in the league and and, and we were real tight at that time and and uh you know they, they, i went through coaches and i was going to hire as my bench coach grady little well, well, um, as things turned out uh, during this interview process, I, he interviewed five people. I think it was me, Royster. I, I think Tori Lavella was in there and a couple other guys. And uh, anyways, Paul D. Podesta ends up getting fired when this thing's hanging in the air. They're supposed to get back to the Giants within a week or 10 days. This thing's dragging on. Paul calls me. He says, look, I just got let go. Uh, you know, he says, you're not going to get the job. I said, great. Next thing I know, they fire him the next day. And uh, lo and behold, Ned Coletti, who was working for us as our general manager under Brian Sabian, he goes down to L.A., he gets the job, and guess who he hires as his manager? Grady Little. <laughs> so so it was real interesting a uh, couple of months for me uh, when that all went down and transpired. Yeah, well, the game has changed, but, you know, a lot of things are better. The pitch clock for sure is better. I'm not so sure about not being able to take out the second base. As a matter of fact, I don't think that's good at all. I mean, not that you want to hurt somebody, but there's a skill of taking out a guy and there's a skill of making a double play for a second baseman at shortstop. And they've taken a lot of skill out of the game because – now anybody can play second theoretically because you don't have to, you know, get the ball, get rid of it quick and get up in the air so you don't get hurt. So, you know, we're we're both middle infielders. We know how tough it was. We both got knocked down many times, I'm sure. But if you're up in the air and you get hit, you just tumble down and hopefully you don't land on your elbow the wrong way or wrist or your D or whatever. But, but you know, you had to learn how to protect yourself. And same thing with catchers. I mean, you got to learn how to protect yourself. I mean, it's a, it is a contact game. They take a lot of contact out of the game, and they take a lot of skill out of the game. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, but, you know, like you said, we're both middle infielders. I, I got my my butt knocked down a number of times, and it, it is a skill. And you know, even teaching the guys today, it's it, it's different. You just have to stay at the bag. They can't they can't hit you. Use the bag as protection. Uh, protection. You know, people aren't well versed coming across or going back or avoiding. Uh, the guy sliding in. Um, it, it is. It, it's simplified. It's simplified the game quite a bit. So um, I, I agree with you. I, I, I miss those things. And I guess it's fortunate enough for us that we've been in the game long enough and been able to teach the game and be around it to see all these changes, you know, uh, transpire because the game didn't change all that much, you know, for the first 15 years of my career. But certainly in the last, you know, 10 
um, it, it's changed uh, immensely. So it's just interesting to me to see how this thing evolves. You know, the one rule right now is, which I think they need to get get rid of it, and, and it drives me nuts. You know, being in the National League your whole life or being a bench coach for 19 years, you know, Shafe, you manage, you've been a bench coach. You know, I, I never enjoyed playing American League teams, so we lost it. We lost the uh, the pitcher hitting, which had a ton of interest in the game. You bunt plays, you know, the defensive side of the games. There was so much more going on. Uh, but the point I'm getting at, you know, it, it, we simplified the game so much. And, and the rule I think they can change now that they have the game clock in there and the game is sped up is a reliever has to face three hitters. Again, you're hamstringing the manager to uh, to make a decision to win that game. And it just drives me nuts that you can bring a guy in with the bases loaded. He walks the first two guys and you got a terrible matchup and he can't throw strikes and you can't take him out of the game. So I, I, I wish they would just do away with that now that the pitch clock's in there, the games are moving along and let right. the managers manage. You can't let you can't take the strategy away from the manager. Dave, no. you're still there. <laughs> we kind of Yeah, no, I love I'm I'm enjoying the conversation. I, I uh I'm smart enough to know as a as a producer and co-host when to let it fly, and I, I love the back and forth. It's, our audience is going to love this one. I got a question for you two, though, if you don't mind. Um, you know, you both have a, a lifelong experience in the game. Your your perspective on the game is is just very digestible for the audience. It's um, I've always found that successful people, smart people find value by thinking about things in first principle, where they trust their gut, they trust their eye, they've had enough training with it. We have all this influx with data now. And I'm not saying data is bad. I think as long as you, you treat it like a story, it's bad. But how do you, Ron, how do you how do you grapple with that? How do you balance the two with all this experience you've had in different, uh, you know, different arenas in baseball, third base coach, bench coach, manager, you know, professional player, and now the change to the game with, with this influx of data? How do you balance that when you're managing, when you're instructing, when you're evaluating? Well, uh, that's a great question, Dave, and I'm glad you're still there. I thought maybe you went to lunch. I wasn't sure what was going on. Good to hear from you. Can get a word in <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, um, that, that's a great question. And um, look, you know, I, I played. I played since high school. I, I managed in the minor leagues. Uh, been a major league coach for an awful long time before all these changes <laughs> come in. So I believe what I believe, and I've had tremendous. Uh, managers that I worked for, Dusty Baker, Felipe Alou, my goodness, um, and and Bruce Bochy and and Gabe Kapler at the end. But the, you know the thing about it is, um, you learn what you learn because you've experienced it and you lived it. So I, I'll use Felipe as an example. Felipe, when he managed in the big leagues, and he told me this, you know, he used the same statistics at the major league levels. He looked at walks to strikeouts, you know, hits to innings, you know, the basic stats that he grew up on. And this is how he he, he viewed the game. And, and then it was more his instincts, his trust, knowing the animal, um, et cetera, et cetera. To your point, I guess what I'm saying is I'm kind of the same. I use what I use. I look at all the data just like I was always in charge of the shifts and all that and spent a lot of time looking at the data. But you know what was more important than looking at plots on the map is watching the hitters swing against the pitchers and what they're trying to do. So, I mean, it goes deeper than the stats. And I think our experience in the game, uh, living these things, you believe what you believe, you look at the analytics, and you still revert back to what you believe in. Now, if something stands out in the analytics where it makes sense, hey, more power to them. But I don't try to be an analytical coach because that's not who I am. My strength is with the players on the field, the things I've learned, the instincts, just like Dusty Baker is, just like Schaaf is, just like Felipe Alou and Bruce Bochy. So I, I guess I've been around uh, you know, some people that, uh, you know, weren't analytical people and have really influenced me. You know, Dave, that's a good question. But, you know, I learned about experience is that you with experience, you get confidence. I when I first started managing uh, things don't go right. You kind of lose your confidence a little bit. Say, well, maybe I screwed that up. But the thing is that good managers like Bo Cheese and, uh, you know, Dusty Baker and those guys, they manage long enough to know that if they go against the grain, even though they think it's right, they're not going to second guess themselves. Right. I remember coaching with Joe. <clears throat> Joe would do something. And he said, 
he asked me what, what we should do or something like that. And I suggested stuff. He asked me all the time. And then sometimes he you know, went against what I said, which that was fine. I just told him what I thought and he used what I thought, but he make other decisions a lot of times. And, uh, he say later, he said, you know, I think I screwed that up. I said, Joe, you did it right. I would have done the same thing, but it just didn't work, but you didn't screw it up. But so it went over, you know, we'd like water over the dam now start again. But some managers would get real defensive if it doesn't work right. And they go back against the grain against what they really think. But the experience is the most important thing. Like Ronnie and I both have the same career, so to speak. We managed seven years and my leagues coach one year, two years. And you learn, you learn from the bottom up and, Unfortunately, in baseball now, people don't learn. I mean, they get rid of a lot of older guys who are mentors. I mean, some of the mentors I had as coaches, as, as scouts, a lot of those guys are gone now. And you need to have a feeding system where you got veteran guys teaching young guys how to do it. And like you said, Ronnie, when you were kicking the grass and nothing was happening, I guarantee <laughs> somebody told you, Ronnie, kick dirt next time. <laughs> you might have figured it out. You might have figured it out anyway. But, but it's stuff like that that you have to let guys know. I mean, when I ran around, around to the minor leagues, a lot of times a manager do, manage to do something. I said, why'd you do that? And if he had a good reason, I said, okay, it didn't work. But I don't think it was a good enough reason. But, I mean, that's that's what you learn. You learn from people that have been there before. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I, and, Ron, just so you know, Shafe is my – it's like uh, going to church every day when I talk to him. It's baseball church. Sometimes he'll call and I'll just ask him a question, just listen to him talk. It's soothing. And somehow I feel – I feel uh, spiritual when I'm done with it. So you guys are doing great today. I've got, I've got another question for both. I get, don't, I get confuse, don't confuse me with a priest, though. No, I know, buddy. I'm sorry. <laughs> I do that up there. Um, I get about 700-plus DMs a day on social media, and I don't like social media, but it's a way for us to communicate with our audience. And um, I get asked as a parent, former coach, a scout, you know, uh, today's today's topic, it went off like a firestorm is on body language. And my message to to – the question and people responding like crazy is body language to me is a window to your mental toughness. And if you abide body language that you're telling me as a coach, you're not mentally mature enough to play the next play. I've got to get you out, um, get somebody else in or make an adjustment. And I did remind the parents in the question that it starts at home. You know, we have a lot of parents that listen, young kids, grassroots. I mean, we're little league baseball all the way up to front offices in terms of body language, when you're scouting, when you're managing, when you're instructing, so talk to the importance of that uh, to the kids. What, what, what kind of message would you have regarding that? No, okay. Uh, yeah, no, you go. I'll go for. I'll go first. Um, well, I, I look. I, I agree with you. I mean, it tells you a lot about the makeup and the individual, the body language, and how they carry themselves. Uh, I think, especially at the younger uh, ages, I think it's extremely important that we coach some of that. You know, we get we get. Uh, we get real enamored with coaching the skill and the swing. And, uh, you know, even in the major leagues, sometimes I, I feel like we coach the swing too much instead of the approach and the mentality and just hitting your pitch, you know, swinging at strikes. I mean, there's a, there's a lot that goes into it, but I think sometimes we miss, we miss the simple things, you know, hustling on and off the field, your body language. And there's a lot of good youth coaches out there and high school coaches and, et cetera, et cetera, that are teaching this. But I think it's overlooked. Um, you know, I, my great nephew, Landon, he, he's learning how to pitch and he's taking pitching lessons. And this pitching coach is is helping him with those things because it's really important when you're a pitcher, right? Hanging your head, your body language on the mound. You can see when a guy's defeated. So um, I, I think it's as important as anything else that we teach as far as this skill goes, uh, because it's, it's your perception. It's how people perceive you and, and the confidence you exude. And as Shafe said, you have to have confidence and you have to have confidence to play or, or do your job at the highest level. If you're not confident in what you're doing, um, you're, you're never going to reach your potential. So I think it's extremely important. I agree. I think confidence builds success, success breeds confidence. And uh, I think the big thing as a manager, and I mean, you can't, you know, you can't uh, start, know what you can do during the game before the game starts. You have a little plan, but it changes. I mean, one thing is every time you went to the mound, a lot of times they didn't know if I was going to take the pitch out or not. Most of the times I already I did. But you go out to the mound, you look in his eyes. You can tell by looking in his eyes if he's confident or he's scared or what's going to happen. So that would make your decision a little bit easier. But, you know, the confident guys have success. And their success breeds confidence, like I said. So what happens is, if you have a little failure, you can overcome the failure because you know you can do it. And again, that's what gets back to like, I got a problem with the minor leagues. They don't have enough minor league teams. 
you know, we got to go to Japan to get starting pitchers now. Ridiculous. But, you know, we don't have enough minor league teams to develop pitchers. I talked to a guy that managed A-ball this year. He said, I had 20 pitchers. How am I going to get 20 pitchers the amount of work they should have? So what happens? They give them like 60, 70 pitches, bring in the next guy, the next guy, the next guy. None of them learn how to pitch because they don't pitch enough to learn how to pitch. So it's a double-edged sword, sword, I guess. But I just think that uh, baseball needs somebody to tune it up, develop proper, to develop players properly, and make them better. That's a good point. Well, we've, we've kept Ron for almost an hour, actually over an hour now, and we appreciate his time. Yeah. Is there uh, any anything you want to close with? Any last questions you want to bounce off him? I'm glad you let me get those couple in there. I think that's important for our audience. Yeah. Well, again, Ronnie and I, you know, we had mutual respect to each other. He's a lot younger than I am, but uh, we got the same background. I was a little bit ahead of him. And then, you know, he coached a lot longer in the major leagues because he was probably a lot better than I was. And he had success. He had how many World Series rings do you have? Well, I'm fortunate to have three, and there's no way that I was better than you. But I, I think uh, I think I've been able to uh, adapt and adjust. <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe a little better than you, but yeah. yeah, I'm fortunate to have three. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. And uh, but still a great game. I miss it. I'm going to miss it. I know I am. But uh, the same token. I can go to bed when I want. I can wake up when I want. And maybe I can have a drink when I want. So I'm not going to miss <laughs> You get to deal with me one day a week now. Yeah, right. But this this is good for me because especially talking to people like Ron. I mean, we had great baseball conversations before, especially in spring training when you're in Arizona. And we talked a lot of stuff, how to do fundamentals, how to do this, how to do that. And that's what I miss the most, talking baseball. Yeah, and and I, and I got to say, I, I really enjoyed it. And, and Shafe, you, you've been such a, a positive influence in my life and, and a mentor, especially with the fundamentals. I'd ask Shafe questions all the time, you know, um, even when I've been coaching a while, just just to, for confirmation, because there's a lot of opinions in this game, and and I think Shafe sees things black and white. I mean, he believes what he believes because he's lived it, like we talked about. So. Um, this has been a lot of fun, and I'm glad you talk about the fundamentals and what you guys are doing because um, they're really non-existent in the major league level. I mean, the base running and the cutoffs and relays and people positioning—it's um, really changed quite a bit. And as a bench coach, you know, I was always fighting to try to make sure that uh, we did the fundamentals right on the bunt plays, the cutoffs and relays, all the things that can make a difference in a game because you know you get what you emphasize. And the guys are always going to, they're always going to hit. They're going to be in that cage all day long. They're going to pitch. They're going to take their ground balls. But, uh, you know, they don't take them as much as they do the hit. But the defense, you know, the base running and the fundamentals, uh, you want to have a good team, get the most out of your team. You have to be able to do those things well. You're right. It's very good. I appreciate you coming on. Appreciate your time. Uh, you're back in the mountains now, so I don't know what you're going to do from here on. No, but you're not probably going to climb any mountains. Well, Shafe, today's my uh, 37th wedding anniversary, actually, with Lori, my wife. So uh, we're going to get out there, bring the dog out in the snow and and uh, go for a little hike. Well, good for you and good for her. We got you by 20 years, though. Okay. Sounds not, exactly. not, many, not many guys in baseball have been married as long as we have. <laughs> no, no. Well, we've only been together half the time, so that's how they put up with us, I guess. But uh, I've really enjoyed it, Dave. Uh, great being with you. Uh, look forward to listening to your, your podcast going forward, and uh, maybe I'll be on sometime down the road. Best of luck, and thank you. Yeah, we'd love you. Hang on with us for a second. And we did have Ted Barrett on. I'll have to, we'll have to get him back on. Maybe we can have a re recap of uh, that interaction you guys had way back when. Oh, yeah. He got me a couple of times, Ted. So uh, he, he's a great guy. Yep. But uh, to, for our audience here, closing in on 64,000 subscribers, we appreciate your support. Remember Blackout Coffee, it's Bob S 20 at checkout. If you want the 20% discount, use his code after that so you can get 15%. Jaw Bats, RVG at checkout gets you 15% off. Anything they have on their website, including the Maple Bats. And with Liquid IV and Zencast, you heard those ads. And please follow those prompts as well. Support us in our, our newest award. We got the sports group. Uh, they nominated us for the podcast production network uh, of the year. Uh, so we're up for that for the whole network. And then our original flagship show, Coach and Kernan, is up for podcast of the year. So uh, a lot of good things happening here with our network. Bob, thanks to you so much uh, for a great, always a great Wednesday. It's we're gonna Our next book's going to be Wednesdays with Bob. I, I love my Wednesdays with Bob. And then Ron, thanks for being a great guest. We appreciate the, the info you gave to our audience. Thank you. I really enjoyed it.
Have a great Wednesday and happy anniversary. Yep. Thank you. There's nothing like the view from the chiefs.